So one of the things you pick up really quick when you read the Bible, especially the New Testament, is that Jesus often said things that left people confused. Amen? I read things that Jesus said, and I'm confused today. I'm like, what, what exactly did he mean here? And I got to go get a commentary and figure out what he was trying to say. Of course, this has nothing to do with Jesus or the truths that he was presenting. The problem was always with the one listening. Uh, yes, those that are listening. In many cases, especially in the first century, those listening to Jesus were either too spiritually dull or too hard-hearted to perceive what Jesus was actually talking about. Even Jesus' own disciples, half the time, they didn't know what he was talking about. I mean, could you imagine being a disciple and they're like, what did he just say? I think he, I could see him gathering around and going, who's going to ask him? Okay, what's going to go on here? Let me give you a really good example of when this happened. It's, it's, it's rather humorous. Jesus, remember the Jewish people were obsessed with the outer person. So they were really concerned about not being ceremonially unclean. They didn't want to touch the wrong thing or eat the wrong thing. And Jesus is going to teach them that it's not what goes into your body that defiles you. What comes out of your heart is what defiles you. And so he says this, and he called the people to him and said to them, hear and understand. So he said, him up. He's going, listen carefully because this is important and I want to make sure you get this. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, that is out of his heart that defiles a person. And of course, this left people confused, specifically Peter, because Peter comes to him and says, Peter said to him, explain this parable. And he said, Jesus said, are you still without understanding? Peter, what is going on? You can imagine the frustration of Jesus. You know, he told people, I speak to you of earthly things. If I spoke to you of heavenly things, you would never understand. I'm speaking to you in your terms, and it's even hard for you to understand. Now, the reason I tell you that is these examples are all throughout the Bible. Today, we're going to be looking at one of the best, if not the best example of this very thing happening, where Jesus is talking to someone. He's teaching them about the Holy Spirit, and the person listening has no clue what he's talking about. So are you ready, church? You guys ready? So hopefully we understand it. It's my honor to take us to the word of God today. We'll be in John chapter three and we will be looking at verses one through 10. Hear the word of God this morning. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And I love what Jesus does. I mean, he kind of butters Jesus up, but Jesus just goes straight, straight to the punch. And Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, bless poor Nicodemus, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind, that is the Holy Spirit, the wind blows where it wishes. And you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus, again, a little bit frustrated, you can imagine, says this. Jesus answered him, are you a teacher of Israel and you do not understand these things? Church, may these words strengthen us today. 
So in our passage, Jesus is teaching a religious leader by the name of Nicodemus about how to enter the kingdom of God. And why that's important for our discussion today is the role that the Holy Spirit plays in this process. Because what we learn from this passage is that a person first must be born again, specifically born again of the Holy Spirit before he can enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, poor Nicodemus, as I said, is left totally baffled. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb? He has no clue what Jesus is talking about. Now, as I said earlier, the misunderstanding doesn't lie with Jesus or what Jesus said. The problem is with Nicodemus. Nicodemus has a terrible disease. It's a disease that we all have. And that he often reads the Bible looking at it from worldly terms instead of spiritual terms. He was interpreting what Jesus said in worldly terms when, he, when Jesus was clearly talking in spiritual terms. Jesus is expounding on one of the most significant and miraculous aspects of the Holy Spirit's work in this lifetime, and that is the Spirit's work in causing people to be born again. Now, this raises and introduces a separate but related biblical truth that is, without a doubt, one of the most offensive truths in all the Bible. Do you want to hear one of the most offensive truths in all the Bible? As a matter of fact, this might be the single most offensive truth in all the Bible. You want to hear it? Are you sure? Here it is. Apart from Christ, we're spiritually dead. Apart from Christ, we are spiritually dead. Now, the reason this is so offensive and such a hard doctrine for people to accept is because mankind naturally has a tendency to think more highly of himself than he ought. It's called pride. We're prideful. If you tell a man he's spiritually dead, his pride is going to tell him that can't be true. I don't feel spiritually dead. This is what led the great Protestant reformer, Martin Luther, 500 years ago to write The Bondage of the Will. Luther's two greatest works were his catechism he considered his two greatest works, his catechism and the bondage of the will. And in the bondage of the will, he said, listen, man is enslaved to sin. He's dead in his sins. And he can't do anything spiritually good. He's enslaved. He's dead. This is what Augustine argued centuries earlier when he battled a man by the name of Pelagius. Now, Augustine wrote a prayer, and the prayer went like this. Command what thou will, God, and grant what thou command. Command what thou will, and grant what thou command. And what he was saying is, God, command whatever you want. You're God, you can command whatever you want. But the second part of the prayer was this, unless you grant what you have commanded, we won't do it. We can't do it. And a British monk by the name of Pelagius took offense at that prayer. And he said, no, if God commands it, we can do it because we're not spiritually dead. We're just a little bit sick. As a matter of fact, Pelagius took it the whole, he, he ran its natural course and he said, we're born without sin. We do sin, but we're not born sinners. So he kept pushing the envelope the other way. And so Luther considered himself in the line of Augustine. He was an Augustinian monk. In other words, fallen mankind isn't in the ER on life support. Fallen mankind is in the morgue. He is dead. And if we learn anything from the creation account in Genesis 1 through 3, is that sin did exactly what God said it would do. It would bring death. And the Lord God commanded man saying, you shall surely, uh, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die, die. Now, on the day that Adam and Eve sinned, death entered the world in two specific ways. There was a physical death that entered the world, but there was also spiritual death that entered the world. Adam and Eve 
would have been able to observe with their own eyes death as it entered the world. You know what's fascinating? When I get to heaven, if I can have a conversation with Adam, if he's there and if I can have a conversation with him, one of the questions I really want to ask him, and I'm true, I, I mean it when I say this, this is not, I'm not joking. What was it like that moment that death entered the world? Physically, did you feel your cells starting to die within you? <laughs> Because that's exactly what happened. They would have been able to observe death and decay immediately sweep over creation. But they would have felt it in their body because the sting of death would have immediately hit them. And their progression, they would have lived forever, but now they're going to die. Boom. Death has entered the world. But it wasn't just physical death that entered the world. It was spiritual death that, that entered the world. In other words, the minute they sinned, spiritual death consumed everything in its path. And spiritual death, by the way, is far and away the worst type of death anyone can experience. Now, like physical death, spiritual death renders a person unable to do anything. Let me ask you a question. If you walk upon a person that is dead, what can they do? Nothing. If you ask them to get up, what will they do? If you put out your hand to shake your hand, what will they do? They can do nothing. They can do nothing. Same with spiritually dead people. Dead people spiritually can't do anything. Luther's point in his book is the only thing spiritually dead men can do is sin. They freely sin. But because they're dead in their trespasses and sin, enslaved to sin, that's all they can do. And they will remain that way unless a miracle happens. It's exactly why Jesus said things like this. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent him draws him. See that word can right there? It's from the Greek word dunamos, where we get the word power, dynamite. No one literally has the power or ability to come because they're dead. Dead men can do nothing spiritually good or positive. But this is precisely where the Holy Spirit comes in. Because what we're incapable of doing, the Holy Spirit can do. One of the most significant and miraculous aspects of the Holy Spirit's ministry is causing people to be born again. Another way to say it is the Holy Spirit raises people from spiritual death to spiritual life. And it's a term that we call regeneration. Regeneration. Perhaps you've heard pastors talk about that. The regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. We find this word throughout the Bible. Let me give you an example. Titus chapter 3. It describes the spiritually dead man and, or woman. And then it talks about the mercy of God in causing us to be regenerated. For we ourselves were once foolish disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. That's the spiritually dead person. But when the goodness and loving kindness of our God, uh, of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness. Now, let me ask you a question. Can a spiritually dead man do works of righteousness? No. So we couldn't even do anything if we wanted to, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now, why does any of this matter? Why does any of this matter? Well, believe it or not, the fact that the Holy Spirit causes people to be born again or to be raised from death to life, to be regenerated, has a radical impact on you and me a thousand different ways every day. But most people don't 
uh, don't always understand the significance of it. So here's what I want to do. I want to really unpack some significant ways this truth of the Spirit causing people to be born again affects you and me. So the first thing you have to understand about regeneration is this. Regeneration fundamentally changes people. The person who is truly born again has literally become a new creation with a new heart and a new mind. 2 Corinthians says this, Therefore, is anyone in Christ, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Another way to put it is they have passed from death to life. Jesus said, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Now, you want to know why that's important? Everybody brace yourself for what I'm about to say, because this is, some of you are not, some of you need to hear what I'm about to say. Others of you already know this, but it's important. This is the number one area that this is going to affect you and me. So are you ready? Here it is. Not everyone who claims to be a Christian is born again. Not everyone who claims to be a Christian is born again. One thing that we learned from the New Testament is that the early church was full of people who called themselves Christians, but who were false converts. John wrote this, they, the false converts, went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might be plain that they are not of us. And then he says this to the believers, to those that have been born again, but you have been anointed by the Holy One. You're different. Because when we say that somebody is born again, it's not just they accepted Jesus. It is they're born again. There's been a fundamental change within them. R.C. Sproul, the, great, the late great theologian, said this of the Holy Spirit. He is intangible and invisible, but his work is more powerful than the most ferocious wind. The Spirit brings order out of chaos and beauty out of ungodly, uh, ugliness, he can transform the sin-blistered man into a paragon of virtue. The Spirit changes people. The author of life is also the transformer of life. Now, here's what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that the person who is born again will automatically be a spiritual superstar. I told you I got saved in 1987. Literally, God took out my heart of stone and put on a heart of flesh. People always ask me when I tell them, Bill, what kind of, they go, what do you do? And I go, I'm a pastor. And they go, well, what type of pastor are you? And first words out of my mouth, every time, I'm born again. I'm a born again pastor because I have been born again. I went from a hard-hearted little punk kid to somebody that loved Jesus and I told you, I went back to my junior year in high school and I was still cheating and I got convicted. Nobody told me I was wrong. I was just like, I don't think this, God wants me doing this. I'm like, what's wrong with me? I, I I'm desiring to do what is holy and right and good. Where is this coming from? It was because I've been transformed from the inside out. So you won't have a spiritual superstar on your hands right away when somebody is born again. It may take some time to see significant fruit in their life, but of this you can be certain. You will see a changed life. Jesus spoke to this very issue in the parable of the sower. He said, the word is going to go out and it's going to land in people's hearts. But how will you know the person whose heart has truly been changed? The person who's been truly born again, raised from spiritual death to spiritual life, here's how you will know. 
And he told them many things in parables saying, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path and the birds came and devoured it. Okay, that's, that's Satan snatching away the word. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. In other words, that is the people who hear the word, but persecution comes and they fall away. Other seed fell among the thorns and thorns grew up and choked it. That's the worries of this world. But then he says this, other seed fell on the good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. And then he says this, he who has ears, let him hear. In other words, make sure you understand this. The person who has truly been transformed by God bears fruit. Now, since everyone, since not everyone who calls themselves a Christian is necessarily born again, it means that you and I have to be discerning. But let me tell you why this will help you make sense of the world that you live in. It'll make you, help, it'll make, you make sense of the world because all of us, all of us, not all of us, probably most of us have people in our lives that call themselves Christians, but there's nothing. It could be a family member, a loved one, somebody we work with. They go, yeah, I'm a Christian, but they don't want to pray. They don't want to read the God's word. They don't want to be around other Christians. They don't want to do anything. And we're sitting here going, wait, should I count them as a Christian or not? And the answer is, is if there's no fruit, they're calling themselves a Christian, but they're in fact probably not born again. It also goes to all the apostate churches that we see around the world right now. How do we make sense of all these churches going apostate? Here's how. They're being led by people who aren't born again. I'm telling you, the number one thing you should look for when you choose a church is to make sure that the pastors, not just the pastor, because you want to be in a church where there is a plurality of godly men leading the church, these are elders, that the elders are born again. The pastors and elders are born again. These are men that are truly been transformed from the inside out. Because when the spirit is in them and times get tough, the spirit is going to encourage them and strengthen them to be bold when they need to be bold. Amen? This is why we're seeing so many apostate churches. And by the way, don't think for a moment that people can't rise in positions of leadership to become pastors and elders of churches. It happens all, non-believers all the time become pastors. It's easy. You, just, you learn to speak Christianese and you write it out and next thing you know, you rise up in the ranks. Or your dad or your dad, grandpa was a pastor and you just follow in the family footsteps. The next thing I know, I'm leading a church, but I have not been transformed by the Spirit. Now, this leads to the second thing you have to understand about regeneration, and that is this. Regeneration cannot be coerced, controlled, or manufactured. In other words, the Holy Spirit regenerates people as he sees fit and when he sees fit. This is exactly what Jesus was saying in this passage. Do not marvel. I said this to you. You must be born again. The wind, that is the Holy Spirit, blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from and where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Listen, I can no more control when and where the Holy Spirit is going to raise someone from the dead, from spiritual death to spiritual life, than I can control the wind. And yet if we go outside right now and it was windy and you said to me, none of you would say to me, Bill, control the wind. You know that that would be impossible, right? And yet many people think, well, the pastor, he needs to cause people to be born again. Folks, I can't do that. <laughs> I can preach the word. I can pray for them. But the Spirit's got to move upon them. I don't have control over that. And nor do you. Many of you have been preaching the gospel to loved ones, family and friends, and you're wondering, when is the transformation going to come? And you're, you're, you're just like, what is going on? And that's because you have to know in that moment that 
that you can only do what you can do. You can pray, preach. You can sow, scatter the seed and water the seed. But whether that seed bears fruit or comes to life, that's in God's hands. Now, regeneration is a supernatural event that happens in divine timing. And that's freeing. And here's why. Because all you have to do is be faithful to, be, to do what God has called you to do. You know, a lot of times we sit in churches and the pastors say, it's incumbent upon you, seal the deal, close the deal, right? When you preach the gospel, seal the deal, as if I can seal the deal. I can't. Plant, my, my, the exhortation is be faithful, plant and water the seed. Scatter the seed, water the seed. But you don't have to seal anything or close any deal. You can't. Only God can do that. Only God, the Holy Spirit, can do that. So be free from pe preachers, teachers, anyone who tries to put pressure on you to be a closer. You're not the closer. <laughs> Nor am I. This is exactly why you, you can't coerce or manipulate people into the kingdom of God. You just can't. This is exactly why the crusaders, I've said it before, the crusaders of the Middle Ages were mistaken at this point. Getting people to convert to Christianity by putting a sword to their neck, you're going to get people to make decisions for Christ, but that doesn't mean they're born again. And if you, if you don't think that coercion and manipulation are being used by Christians and churches today as a means to get people to make decisions for Christ, think again. And by the way, that's the pressure that people have put on pastors. They say, well, you've got to get people to make decisions. Listen, I can, I can, if I go to the children's ministry, I can get every kid in that building to raise their hand to accept Jesus. I can get everyone to make a decision because kids are easy to manipulate and, and, you know, get, uh, hey, you know, and I can rile them up and everyone will raise their hand. Does that mean everyone is truly born again? No. The modern church has developed all types of slick techniques, tricks, and gimmicks to manufacture decisions for Jesus. And a simple recipe for success, for success goes something like this. Turn down the lights, turn up the music, turn on the fog machine, and then pressure people to make a decision. Sound familiar? No, how about this? Faithfully proclaim the gospel. Pray over people and point them to Christ. And trust that the Holy Spirit will do his work in his way and in his timing. Amen? Just like the crusaders, the, the church today will get people to make decisions for Jesus especially when you turn down the lights and turn up the music and turn on the fog machine. But are those people genuinely born again? That's left to be determined. Simply put, employing worldly fleshly techniques, hoping to get spiritual outcomes won't work. It never has, it never will. How do I know that? The Bible says as much. It is the spirit that gives life. The flesh is of no help at all. It's of no help at all. We plant the, we scatter the seed, we water the seed. But beyond that, my responsibility ends, and so does yours. And so if anybody is ever pressuring you to be a closer, to get out there and seal the deal, you know, that person's salvation rides in your hands. No, it doesn't. It's in God's hands. And it's exactly where you want it to be. Now, this leads to the third and final thing you need to understand about regeneration. Regeneration happens when the Spirit of God takes the Word of God and changes the hearts of men. This is what happens. First Peter says this, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Simply put, the word of God is the catalyst by which the Holy Spirit convicts and draws people. You and I have one job, preach the word, scatter the seed and water the seed. Now here's why this matters. 
This is exactly why we never want to fall into the trap of thinking that we are doing people a favor by watering down God's word. Amen? See, my flesh says, I'll help you into the kingdom. But the flesh is of no help at all. As a matter of fact, the flesh only gets in the way. And my flesh says, I got a great idea. God's word can be tough. And it's, it can say some powerful things. And so I know what I'm going to do. In my flesh, I'm going to clean up God's word. I'm going to soften the rough edges. I'm going to water it down just enough. And then I will get you to cross that finish line because I'm a closer. Amen? I'm a closer. Just look at my business practice. I, I you know... I had a great business career. I'm a closer. Folks, if the word of God is what the spirit of God is using to change the hearts of people, the last thing you and I want to do is mess with that word. We want to proclaim it faithfully, even if it's offensive. Listen, especially if it's offensive. The call of the gospel is to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow Christ. The call of the, of the gospel is to die to self and enthrone Christ, to come to him as not only Savior, but Lord. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And by the way, we want to make sure that we're telling our children and grandchildren, we think, well, we don't want to tell them the hard things of the gospel because we want them, you know, we, we, we know better. But no, we need to be telling future generations that there is a judgment coming, that there is a place called hell. People go, well, I don't want to go to a church where they talk about hell and you're, yes, you do. <laughs> now, granted, we can let the pendulum swing too far over here where it's all hellfire and brimstone and no grace, but we don't want to fall into the trap to think, we're, I'm going to do God a favor and I'm going to do you a favor. I'm going to water down the word because then you'll cross the finish line. No, no. Now, here's what this also means. It means that you, if you meet somebody who doesn't understand the gospel, but they're zealous for God, they're not born again. Let me ask you a question. Are there zealous people for God in other religions? Of course. Look at Islam. Are, there, are they zealous for God in Islam? You better believe it. So just because somebody is zealous for God doesn't mean they're born again. As a matter of fact, Paul dealt with this very issue in his generation. Listen to this. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, that is the Israelites, is that they might be saved. But they're not saved. Why? And he says this, for I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God. As a matter of fact, that I would put the first century Jewish people living in the first century, the religious leaders, their zeal up against any other zeal of any other person that has ever lived. The, the first century Jewish people were zealous, especially the religious leaders beyond your wildest imagination. But he says this, but I bear witness about them that they have a zeal for God. But here's the key, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to the righteousness of God. They were zealous for God, but they didn't understand the gospel. And so the point is this, do not, this is where you and I have to be discerning as Christians. Just because somebody claims to be a Christian or somebody is zealous for God, if they don't know the truth, they're not born again because it is the spirit of God that takes the word of God and changes the hearts of men. You've been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable seed through the living and abiding word of God. And folks, that is what we in this generation need to do. We need to be a, Christian, a, a generation of Christians that are scattering the seed of God's word far and wide, watering it, 
Telling people the truth, not being ashamed of the gospel. And by the way, you want to know how you're ashamed of the gospel? You're ashamed of the gospel when you're afraid to tell people the hard things of God's word. We need to talk about hell. We need to talk about a coming judgment. The best thing that you can teach your children and grandchildren is this. Life is short and you're going to be called to an account. Psalm 90:12. teach us to number our days, O Lord, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Tell your children and your grandchildren, listen to me. If you get nothing from grandma or grandpa, get this. Your life will be over in a moment. It'll go like this. The days last forever, but the years fly by. And before you know it, you will be my age. And you're going to be called to an account. And you go, well, that's a, the modern day world is going to say, well, that's a form of child abuse. No, it's not. <laughs> right? They're going to tell us that. They're going to go, you're abusing your children. No, I'm saving them. <laughs> We're saving them. We're saving them. You and I need to do what the Bible calls us to do. Paul said this, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. (laughs) Paul understood, I've got a job to do and God's got his job to do. And the last thing I want to do is cross over and start trying to do God's job. And I know that I've crossed over when I'm trying to do his job, when I'm trying to manipulate people into the kingdom or, you know, soften God's word or somehow be the closer. No, I need to tell them the truth. Proclaim God's word, water it, pray for them, and leave the results in God's hands. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. I'm going to finish with this. Why does all of this matter? Here's why it matters. We are living in a day and age of instant gratification. Here's the danger for the church and for us as believers. The danger is is that we bring that mentality into our church and into our Christian lives. Listen, guys, God, you know this. If you're a believer, you know this. God works in his own way and according to his own timing. Amen? When you you lift, sometimes I lift a prayer to God and I'm on Amazon prime time, right? God, if you could have that delivered to my front door by tomorrow morning, that would be great, right? Amazon prime is a wonderful thing, except when you bring it into your Christian faith. And yet I'm afraid I do. The danger is that we bring this attitude into our Christian faith, specifically with regard to people that we want to be saved, especially with the ones that we love that we want to be saved. We want them to cross that finish line. And so we'll do what it takes. We'll pray. And this is what happens. When we think we're the closers, you know what we do? We annoy people. Because the people in our life, we're thinking, I've got to close the deal. And so we annoy them and pester them. And we're actually driving them further away from the kingdom. Because we think it's, upon, it's incumbent upon me to get you to cross the finish line. No, it's incumbent on me to preach and pray for you. And I leave you in God's hands, which is exactly where you need to be. So I don't need to be an annoying Christian <laughs> in the lives of people. I don't need to pester them to death across the finish line. We need to remember the words of Jesus when he said this, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no help at all. So if I may be so bold to finish with the challenge, it's really simply this, wait patiently upon the Holy Spirit as he is working in his way and according to his timing in regenerating people. Remember the message last week. He is at work convicting the world. He's at work. Have hope. But be patient and trust that he knows what he's doing with your loved ones, with your neighbors, with your coworkers. You be faithful to do what God has called you to do. Know where you're supposed to be. Stay in your lane and trust God that he's going to take care of what he needs to take care of. Amen. Amen.